Praise God. Well, I don't think I can live up to that. Uh, I am, uh, I'm just going to apologize up front. Uh, there is a high probability that there are moments that will be disjointed. And uh, I'm a big believer that uh, God fills in all my blanks with his words. So I hope you get the most out of this you possibly can. Why do you think I called this uh, Even God Needs Right Fielders? Because right fielders, typically they're the least talented. I want to, I want to share. Oh, I've been on, I've been on teams of nothing but right fielders at times. Yeah, I want to share this song with you. Many of you have heard it, probably many two times, but my one of my favorite songs. Can you hear it? a dramatic pause called by buffering. <laughs> and <laughs> Well, maybe we'll just go on without the rest of it. Anybody know the rest of the song? There's a fabulous ending to this. We'll see if we can get it. I can't do that to you. Uh, we'll let that play for a while. So um, the song finishes out where he goes, I'm sitting out in right field, minding my own business, and don't even know what, what inning it is or how many outs. And every, all of a sudden, everybody's yelling at me and screaming and running towards me. 
and I lift up my glove to shield out the sun and the ball falls in my glove and I realize I'm a right fielder. You got to know how to catch. You got to know how to throw. <laughs> and he changes his whole story. Uh, probably one of my favorite things about that song, and I urge you to actually hear the song so, you know, uh, illegally play it in your car while you're driving home or something. Uh, what I love about that is we all have talents. We all have capabilities. We all have things we can do. We all have little slivers of things that are brilliantly given to us by God, surrounded by mountains of obstacles and crap. And sometimes we focus on the mountains and mountains of other stuff instead of focusing on what God may have given us as a gift. It's really easy to do. I'm going to share a couple stories with you that are important to me. And uh, because now you've seen the code, I can take it off because that's just plenty. I agree. Getting the last drop of everything you've got is really important to me and using what you've been given. And I'm going to share with you a couple of personal experiences today and then a couple of ideas that if you think they might help you, that'd be really cool. If they don't, well, go have a coffee and that'll be fine too. My father was my best friend from the age of five till when he died at the age of 80. In his lifetime, he was assigned at a young age to guard a radioactive coal pile after they dropped a bomb on Nagasaki. Post-World War, his job, I'm guarding this. He knew something was weird when 10 years later, he's trying to get together with some of his buddies from that group, and everybody that was in his troop is dead, mostly from cancer. Then he loses all of his hair. There's a funny story about that, but I'll spare you. Uh, the interesting part of that was he started a series of cancerous episodes, 14 different skin cancer moments, 13 diagnoses of other kinds of cancer. Six times in his lifetime, he was diagnosed with a year or less to live. The fifth time he was diagnosed that way, we've been through this and mourned his death for years. And he just keeps going like the Energizer Bunny. And he always said, I have more to do. God's not done with me. The fifth time, they have the meeting with the doctor. They've done all the tests the day before. They've done all the stuff over the preceding week. And they're sitting down with the doctor. And the doctor looks at my mother and my father and goes, Bob, you aren't going to live the year. My mother, on cue, she's crying. My dad leans back in the chair and starts laughing. He's like, <laughs> reaches forward, shakes the doctor's hand. He goes, you know, the first doctor who told me that 13 years ago is dead now. And gets up and leaves. Which is why he was one of my favorite people on earth, the most graceful man I've ever met. He called the doctor a year and a day later and said, I have to apologize. I'm still alive, and I'm taking my wife dancing tonight. I hope that's okay. <laughs> I, I can't decide entirely what that means, but I do know he got every drip of life out of his life. In the last two years, he was confined to the VA hospital. And here's a sign that you are sharing the gospel and that you are really sharing joy with other people. How many people that go and live their last year or two 
in a facility like that have eight of the VA nurses come to your funeral. Eight. They're all, wearing, they're all wearing their outfits and they're all honoring my dad. And I talked to one of them and I said, well, what is it? He goes, you could feel the Holy Spirit on him. And he didn't think anything was impossible. He got every last drip of his life. He even, four weeks before he had his last stroke, four weeks, and he's already can only, he can only move his right fingers and just a little bit. And they came in, they said, we want to give you training. If you can come up with a good reason, like say, Bob, maybe to move your wheelchair, electronic wheelchair, that would be a good reason. If you can give us a good reason, we'll get you therapy to get that started. Hint, say wheelchair right now. And he goes, well, I, I do have one thing I'd like to do. And I, 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 if we can get therapy, I'd like to wipe my own bottom. <laughs> And the nurse tells me this, and she goes, she goes, it was funny, but every day he brought joy to everyone around him. And it was always based on something that God had done for him in his life. He's always talking about how blessed he was. A guy that's sitting there can only move his hand talking about how blessed he was. That's like being a right fielder's right fielder, right? So you don't really need all the gifts in the world. You need a little bit of focus. Who in here is in full-time ministry? Awesome. That's awesome. Who in here is a full-time working person who does a little ministry or a little bit of fun on the side? Who in here is a believing Christian who knows Jesus Christ is Lord? That little kid didn't raise his hand. <laughs> so everybody just raise your hand that believes. Raise your hands. Keep them up for just a second. You are ministers. You have the commission. Congratulations. Amen, right? Amen. So... There's a, there's a lot of angst that goes with being in ministry. There's a lot of angst with being a Christian sometimes where people go, I'm not worthy of sharing the gospel. I'm not worthy of filling the blank. I don't really want to take the risk of talking to someone about God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit or anything that could get me fired. Right? Real life stuff. There's a little angst, a little, little bit of cross purposes there, isn't there? My question is, are you an American? Or are you a Christian? Are you a business person? What's first in your life when you describe yourself? What are you? What are you? What nation do you belong to? Do you belong to the United States first or do you belong to the Christian nation first? There are people that will try to correlate the two on either side of the fence politically, personally, um, I don't know why they call them a party because there's nothing celebratory about either one of those parties. But, but I would tell you, if you're a Christian first, you belong to the Christian nation. You're in the Christian nation. And as a, whether you're a right fielder or whether you're a first baseman or wherever you are, your mission is clear. You've been given the great commission, right? Every one of us has. What keeps us from doing that? What keeps you from doing that? What keeps you from sharing the gospel? Fear. Fear, fear of reprisal, fear of looking like a fool, fear of everything. Yeah. What else keeps us from doing it? Isaiah. 
feeling inequipped, right? Oh yeah, that's a big one. We're going to talk about being inequipped, inequipped in the middle because I am the master of being ill-prepared. What else? Opportunity. Opportunity. We sometimes either don't see the opportunity or we don't have the opportunity or we aren't sure we have the opportunity, right? Appointments. Yeah. What else? Yeah, there are people that are better at this than me, so I don't need to do anything. Yeah. Or maybe I shouldn't. Right, I could screw this up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could really have cause a problem. Those are really good reasons. Any other reasons come to mind? Busyness. Yeah, busyness. I was just going to say busyness. Busy. Oh yeah, sure. I got phone apps to play, man. I got I got no time. <laughs> I'm playing Candy Crush for the millionth time, right? <laughs> I have no time to be doing gospel stuff. That's certainly, you know, if I'm spending time with Candy Crush, is that the same as spending time with Jesus? If I spend my time on things that matter most to me, carry the three, bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it needs to be at least reined in a little. I think the one that cracks me up and is the most difficult one is when you feel ill-equipped, it causes more fear. When you feel like somebody else could do it better, it causes more fear. I'm going to share a couple of stories with you today about some of those topics. And I'm going to tell you these because these are all things that happened to me directly. And I felt ill-equipped in the first one. I was working for a company where I had to fly to Denver. I'm on a 6 a.m. flight. I'm going to fly in the morning at 6. I'm going to fly home at 7 p.m. at night. And it's going to be a whirlwind day. First of all, I hate going on that trip. I hate flying. I hate early flights. Uh, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate. Uh, And I got upgraded to first class because I fly millions of miles. But I got upgraded to the bulkhead first class. And as you can see, I'm a petite flower. And in that bulkhead, there's no room for my legs. And I have pretty long legs. So I'm a little bummed about that. I wake up late, haven't had any coffee. I'm rushing to get from my house to the airport. I get to the airport, I zing through everything. This is back in the old Northwest days. And I throw my stuff over the top of the, the carrier thing. And I slowly sit into my seat. And I look at the woman next to me. I'm tired. I'm crabby. I have no filter. I have no idea where this came from. I look at her and I go, so why do you hate your father? Oh my goodness. I didn't say hello. Good morning. I said, why do you hate your father? And she goes, oh my God, how do you know? And I go, I'm so sorry. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I'm an idiot. <laughs> just ignore me. And she goes, no. She goes, my father killed my mother through constant harassment and physical pain. And I've tried, th- she committed suicide, and I've tried three times. We haven't taken off yet, and I'm going, I'm feeling slightly less equipped than I need to be at this moment. I was going to go talk about how technology trees were built in an organization, and we're having a suicide talk. Oh. I'm feeling overwhelmed. And I went, well, I'm in. God, you gave me an appointment. Apparently, you want me to. The thing I really learned was I'll never be as unprepared as I was that day. I've got to find ways to be prepared. So we start talking, and we start talking about her dad and her life, and we start talking about her father and her father in heaven and the comparison. and. We start really getting into why God has a plan for everyone. And she goes, I don't believe in God. I go, well, it's okay. He believes in you, but, you know, 
Let's talk a little bit about that. And we have some things we go through and we're, we're having a great conversation. And they announce, hey, we're 15 minutes from landing. Everybody put your seats up and, you know, let's go. And I imagine all the people around me who are trying to sleep are going, oh, he's talking Jesus on the plane. I'm trying to nap. I'm going to Denver. And I said, can I pray for you? And I know she thought, can I go back to my house, lock myself in the closet and pray for you? And she said, yes. And I said, great. And I put my hand on her shoulder and I start praying. And I started praying, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I just ask you just bless this woman. First and foremost, you bless her with patience and love and the feeling of the Holy Spirit in every bit of her body. As I say that, I'm in 1C. 2C puts his hand on top of her shoulder. 2D, other shoulder. 1B, on my arm. Flight attendant walks over, puts her arm on me. And we're praying for this woman on the plane. And I, we get all done. It's like, this is so cool. And she goes, do you always feel a jolt of electricity when you pray? I felt like a jolt went through my whole body. And I'm like, I should just say, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> truth be told, I said, no, that was God giving you a wake-up call. I know it's God giving you a wake-up call. Talk about being a classic right fielder at that moment. I have no idea what's going on, but the beautiful thing is, I didn't rely on me. I relied on God. And because I relied on God, He took my imperfections and He used them for His good. I was meeting a guy that is a faithful Christian in Denver, and I said, you know, I know a church in Denver that's unbelievably good. They're, they're just rock solid. You should check them out. She takes the name, my friend goes to that church, they connect. I don't know what happened because she went six times and she said, I'm going to check out other churches. That's what he, you know, she told him. I don't have to know. My job was to show up, plant seeds, do whatever God called me to do, and start rowing the boat again. I don't need to know. It's not even my responsibility. I'm not, I'm not capable of saving anyone. None of us in this room are. That's reserved for the big guy, not the one that's in the White House, the other guy. The, uh, it had to come in sometime. But what, what I really think is fantastic is the minute I realize that, it changes everything. Because anything I run into, what could be harder than what I just did? When am I going to run into somebody that's suicidal and feel comfortable talking to them? God was preparing me. A year and a half ago, a longtime friend of mine called me and said, Ron, I just wanted to call you and let you know I love you, but I'm going to kill myself today. And I'm so thankful that God prepared me for that moment, that God gave me the strength to go through that moment and share the gospel. And he helped me use words that I didn't know I had in me to help that person and to watch him go to Teen Challenge, and to watch him straighten his life out, and to watch him grow his life in a whole new way. It was an amazing thing for me, and I want to invite you to think of, when have you seen appointments go by that we thought were for somebody else, or we just let them ride? God forced one on me because he threw these words out of my mouth. Why do you hate your father? I, I don't think I could stand sitting next to me. <laughs> that's, that's horrible. 
But it was so cool how he used that. If we start to look at a couple things that really kind of drive our faith, I'm going to share with you four big things that I want you to walk away with that will be the only four things that matter today that I hope you get something out of. And, and I'm going to share them with you. Um, they mean a lot to me. Um, it's, the first one is God is the everything. God is the everything. What do you think that means? I feel the same way. He's in bulkhead. It's okay. <laughs> God is the everything. What does that mean? What does it mean to you? Anybody? It means that we have no success or failure with him reaching out to you. So you're, you're back to being my favorite again. <laughs> yeah. It's the reason we, reason we breathe. Yeah, we're, we're, we're connected. It's a fabric, and God is the conduit of everything. And, you know, you look around and you go, everybody else that's here, we're renters, right? It's all God's. People ask, why do you tithe? Anybody here tithe? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but anybody tithe? A lot of money, isn't it? Isn't it money? It can be resources. It can be life. It can be time. Somebody asked me one day, I was at a church, they said, why do you tithe and why do you talk about tithing all the time? I said, well, it's, it's, it's money, but it's resources, it's time, it's thought, it's effort. Think of it like a great commission plan. You get 90% commission on everything that happens in your life. And God blesses you with that. So don't begrudge the 10% that's his. And... I love what the person said. That sounds just like a salesperson. Leave me alone. But what I really love about that is it is all God's. And I'm not giving him anything that's not already his. It's all his. And part of our dynamic of how we live our life is recognizing that God is the everything. That's a foundational element. The second piece is... um, Life is a series of binary decisions. Binary decisions. What do you think I mean by that? There's a fork in the road. If you choose one way, you can't go the other. Yeah, you make real choices. What was the other thing I heard over here? You said this or that. Yeah. It's a series. It's, you know, it's not lukewarm. It's, it's hot or cold. It's, it's the ability to know that making decisions drives where you go. And if you make binary decisions that are based on you first, you get you first results. If you make binary decisions that are based on God first, you get God results. Sometimes not the ones you want, but the one God's want, right? The other thing that's interesting, it leads into the most misunderstood word that I know of. I did a wedding for a couple that I love dearly, and the mother-in-law of the dude, mother of the bride, says, isn't it a great coincidence that they met? I said, you're pronouncing the word wrong. And thank you for coming up with my sermon for the wedding. 
because we pronounce that word wrong all the time. The core word there is coincide. The word is God coinciding things in our life. He has these people meet. He has that person on the plane for a reason. He has me on that plane for a reason. It's coinciding. I submit to you, we pronounce this word wrong every day. It's coincidence. And we put our God hat on and we go, I'm looking for coincidence. I want to know where God wants me to be. And the things that happen to me, good, bad, or indifferent, they're not luck. They're not good luck or bad luck. They're coincidence. And I pray to be in coincidence with God every moment of my life. If you get nothing else out of today, start pronouncing the word right. Right? Well, what does that mean? How do I actually put wheels on understanding how things coincide? When I read the Bible, any of you do this when you read the Bible? Do you hear God's voice yelling at you sometimes? I've heard people, well, I heard that God talks to people and I, I don't know how that happens because I've never heard God's voice. And I said, well, go read the Bible nonstop and pretty soon you can't get the guy to shut up. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> He'll give you the wifer. And that's what I want. But it's being open to that and recognizing that we're in a, in a, in a position of coincidence with God. And when I'm in coincidence, I'm hearing his word, I'm living his word. And that rhema that I get that pops into my head at night where I go, really? And I go look at how I can make it logos to make it real. That's a moment sometimes that you go, I can't believe I'm the, the person that's receiving this coincidence, this, this vision, this, these people, this opportunity, this thing to do to serve the Lord. I was at a wedding uh, several years ago. I was with my good friend Mike, and we're at the wedding, we're sitting outside, and we may have been smoking cigars, you know. They were very faithful cigars, but they were cigars. And uh, we're sitting there watching, and this guy walks by. It's at a VFW in Sioux Falls, I think. And I go, Mike, did you see that guy walk by? He looked like he had 10,000 pounds of baggage on his back, like he was weighted down. I think you need to, I, I think you're supposed to go talk to that guy. Not me, you know. That, you're supposed to go talk to that guy. And he goes, what's this, what's he look like? Okay, got the color of his shirt, got the description. He goes inside, he's gone for like 10 minutes. I put the cigar out, because, you know, it's about the cigar. I put the cigar out, I walk inside. And Mike is talking to a group of people three feet away from that guy. And he's turned the other direction. And I go, Mike, it's that guy. He goes, oh, I couldn't figure out who it was. Maybe it's your appointment, Ron. Mm. <laughs> I walk over and I go, you look like you have a million pounds of weight on your back. Mm. And he goes, oh, he goes, I do. Here's what's happening in my family. Here's what's happened in my life. Here's how I've given up on God. Here's how the military has screwed me up. Here's a, and it's, it's a, a list of things that, again, I'm not capable of dealing with. And he goes, I, I was a good Catholic, but I never really knew God. Mm. I never knew the Bible. And I started to get in the Bible, and then I fell away. And, this, and he goes through this whole iteration. We're talking for two hours. And he, I, I listened to all this, and I went, I'm inspired by you. Will you come join? I know you live in the Twin Cities. Next week, I want to start a Bible study for recovering Catholics where all we do is study the Bible. Will you come play with me? And he goes, yeah. And he was the first. And there was a second. And there was a 13th, and there was a 35th, and there was a second group, and there was a third group. And I gave it to a Catholic person. I gave it all to him who really had the fever to run it because 
he's the right person to run it. I'm not. It wasn't me clutching it. It was just a thrill to know I heard the voice. That was an opportunity to talk to him, but I would have never had that experience had I not done that. The coincidence of that is ridiculously cool. It just, it's cool. He inspired me to do something I wasn't capable of doing without his impetus. The last one is I'm going to spell the Great Commission with two M's because it's spelt that way. But it also is misspelled in my book because it is not the Great Commission on its own and you're not given the Great Commission. Nobody in this room is given the Great Commission. You're given the Great Co-Mission because God carries you where you're supposed to go. God's with you every step of the way. And when you look at your life and you look at opportunities, you're not given a, just a commission where you have to carry it out. You're given an opportunity to walk with God. You're given an opportunity to serve God. You're given an opportunity to let God come out of your mouth. You're on a co-mission, man. I love the thought process behind that, but more importantly, I want you all to think about something. I want you to give it deep thought. So to do that, I want you to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. I want you to lean back and relax. Put your wallets on the table. No, that's a different day. Uh, I want you to lean back and relax. And I want you to think about if you were on the greatest commission that you can dream up in your life that God's either put in your heart or you're thinking about, what would that commission be? I want you to think deep. Thinking about a co-mission. Anybody want to share something that's a dream of yours or something that you think you're being called to do? Crazier the better. So I, uh, as of July 1st, I'm going to be unemployed. I sold my business and I'm doing motorcycle ministry. My wife and I started one year ago. Awesome. What you're, what you're speaking is so true. Last year I did 18,000 miles of ministry. And in every situation, that's right on point, right? Yeah. When you talk about commission, I think of Ananias in Acts 9, right? Ananias needs to go talk to Saul, Tarsus. But God, he kills us. Yeah, I know, but just trust me. <laughs> and so he goes yep. and prays, and the scales fall off, and Saul becomes Paul. Well, if we're afraid to make Paul's, Paul, in my opinion, is probably the leading author of the New Testament, right? Probably one of the most important figures of the whole New Testament. So if we're missing our appointments because we're afraid or we're scared or right. I just don't want to or I don't feel like it, or perhaps we're perhaps Paul doesn't become Paul without Ananias. Yeah. Right? yeah. So and, and the call was made. The call was made. Yeah. And he was scared. Right. Dude, you don't get your head cut off. That's the dude to do it, right? Yeah, that's, that's probably uh, risky. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I like the idea of, uh, you know, uh, I was with a guy on a mission trip where they had uh, told us that we couldn't go that next day to do the mission because there was an all-people riot going on, and anyone on the streets would be attacked and rocks would be thrown at in Haiti. Yeah. 
And my buddy turns to me and he goes, wouldn't it be cool to have scars from going out for God? We got to do this. And of course, I'm an idiot, so I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and, and some of the guys who were maybe a little bit more thinking about their families were going, okay, <laughs> can we vote? <laughs> but we went. Thirteen of us decided to go the next morning. At 7.58, we hear a radio announcement. We're leaving about 8.15. The all-person strike is called off. And it's like, yeah, it was all bluff. You know, like usual, Satan's got the cards of like, uh, he's got a seven high nothing. What is it? What is your commission? What is it? Anybody else want to talk about it? One that you've got? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'm a hospice nurse here, and I uh, was running from that. I, I thought that God was calling me to something different. Yep. And just recently, God's really opened my eyes that, like, the elderly is, is my passion still. And, like, God put something in me to reach the elderly. And, like, someone prophesied over me recently that I'll, like, lead people to Christ on their deathbed there. Awesome. And, and I just saw, like, an image of a woman. And God is right there with me ministering to her. That's, That's awesome. Really cool. That's just awesome. Love it. That's awesome. Wow. We should probably just end right now. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. I'm a chaplain at our local hospital, and I'm up there two, three times a week. Mm -hmm. and, uh, not a big hospital. 30-some 30, 30 beds in an ICU. Um, but my purpose there is what you're talking about. Um, I try and visit all the new patients and ask them if, if I can pray for them. Right. And sometimes I walk into a room and I have a conversation and I pray for somebody and I walk out the door. Yep. And sometimes um, people don't want prayer. And I always think, what planet are you living on? You're laying in the hospital. <laughs> and you don't want prayer? Yep. No, I understand that's the limits. Okay. Yep. But sometimes I walk into a room and it is a God appointment. Yep. And I'm in there for 20, 30 minutes or whatever. And I walk out and say, God, that's the reason I came to the hospital today. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, there's a beautiful thing about being able to spot appointments and be able to hear God's voice clear. I'm supposed to do something. I know I'm driven to do this. I had that happen to me last year and I'm working on it right now. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if you could take all these people that want to go on mission trips and you could help them make a better plan, make a business plan for their mission trip. And if you could put it online and you could put it in front of faith-based Christian businessmen and give them the opportunity not to donate but to invest in missions and if you then came back and said here's the results of my trip compared to my plan and you create an opportunity for people to want to really work with other people and give them funding to go do crazy cool things people they've never met but they love the way they do business God's business and that I'm hoping that sometime in December you'll see Christian mission match online because I think that is what I'm called to do right now and my wife thinks it's crazy, which tells me I'm probably spot on. You know, we're, an, we're an independent ministry, right? I'm yeah. Not, I'm AG, I don't have... Right. That would be 
so beneficial because I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm yeah. I'm praying and going, okay, God, I'm listening. And then God provides here and there. You know, those 18,000 miles are yeah. free. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, we start to look at all this stuff, and I there's, there's a couple of things that I think really stand out when you start looking at life with that kind of spin. As human beings, we're kind of oblivious at times, aren't we? We kind of miss what's going on around us. Uh, my wife tells me I miss a lot, but I, I, don't, I don't really hear her. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm married so far up, it's unbelievable. Uh, what I really think is cool, though, is because we don't always hear, we miss out on things that happen right in front of us. We, we have miracles. We have opportunities. I just tell you that from a personal standpoint, in the mid-'90s, I had an unbelievable string of challenges that hit me. I had financial challenges, family challenges, health challenges. Uh, it was unbelievable. Uh, I'll give you a clue. Let's say hypothetically you have $4 million and you lose $8 million. I didn't pass a lot of math classes, but I know that's bad. You know, carry the four, trouble, right? Um, good experience to go through, though, because you find out who your friends are and you find out how deep your God is. And I'm, I'm dry, before I figured all of it out, first of all, as I mentioned, you might notice I am not a person that is slight of, of, of stature. I have a lot, of, a lot of activity going on here. I used to be 80 pounds heavier, and I spent the last six years getting rid of that 80 pounds. I had a goal of losing an Olsen twin, and I did it. And that, that was awesome. And at that point, I'm, I'm in my former bigger self, and I'm driving in my fantastically anointed 83 Honda Civic because I lost all my good stuff. I'm driving down 35 by Burnsville. It's about, uh, it's another balmy uh, February day in Minnesota, about five degrees. And my car works great. It's like no big deal. It's, you know, everything's perfectly warm and all that stuff. And it's never had any issues. So I'm pretty happy and content, although cramped driving down the road. And I went, God, if you're there, I mean really there, could you show me a sign? Could you just let me know you're with me or that you exist? Can you give me some kind of understanding, some kind of feeling if you really are there for me? I'd really like to know you're here. And as soon as I finished that kind of that plea, it wasn't even a prayer, it was more of just a plea. As soon as I finished that, this is exactly what happened. The entire glass on my Honda all the way around iced over and was this thick and I couldn't see out. It was like Coke bottle glasses. Just couldn't see a thing. And count to four and it's gone. And of course, like any good human being, I went, any sign at all, God? Can you give me any sign? Because I'm an idiot. And like a month later, I'm going, that actually happened. He was actually telling me something. And I'd had this gnawing feeling for a long time that he was telling me something. And I thought, what was he trying to say? Well, he was, I'm here. But what was he really saying? He was telling me he's the everything. I know everything. I see everything. And I know this is a pivotal moment in your life. And God blessed me at a pivotal moment in my life. That was so cool. 
It was so cool. I get on the phone. I call a friend of mine. I go, you won't believe what happened. Uh, about a month ago, this, and I was just thinking about this now, and it's kind of making me crazy thinking about it. And he goes, Ron, do you need help? <laughs> well, yeah, I do. That's why I got God. Uh, that kind of faith, each of us needs to have that. I'm writing a book. I've been writing it for about six years, and I hope to finish it this year. Um, but I captured that. I captured the woman on the plane, and I realized I had 12 really cool things that have happened in my life that were directly God-driven. And I'm going to share two things with you because I want you to see a couple of things that were life-changing for me, and I hope they're life-changing episodes that you had the same opportunity to experience or have. I love the IRS. They're my favorite people. Um, uh, Three-letter word for swearing, uh, IRS. The interesting trip we had, my wife and I went down to visit. My child bride is just fantastic. We went down to visit her mother. And we're down in uh, Austin, Texas, hanging out with her mother. We come back after a long trip. And there's, this is back when you actually got mail that mattered. There's a stack of mail like this. And I take the very first thing off the top, and it's from my favorite friends at the Revenue Service. And it is a notice that we didn't receive your tax return from three years ago, which they did, and you owe $9,158. And I'm like, no, no, this is not good. And I go downstairs and we look around for the paperwork and we realize that was the, one of the two boxes that was ruined by the water that came in that time and it was paper macheted together. And we walked back upstairs, my wife and I sat there and we prayed over that, we put, her, put our hands on top and we prayed over and said, Father God, I don't care if you solve this, but give me patience and take away any stress in the name of Jesus Christ. Just take all the stress away because I know it'll all work out in the end because you'll make it work out, Lord. Amen. One down. Next letter. It's from Jill. It's from my wife's mother. And she has this, and she has this lovely calligraphy handwriting, so it's just a thrill to read her letters. And I'm reading the thing. It says, Dear Jen and Ron, I read something in the paper today that the IRS allows you to give $10,000 a year to your kids without a tax hit. And I thought, wouldn't that be cool? So here's $10,000. Love you. Love Moo. Okay. <laughs> God knew we were going to pray, but wow. So we tied $1,000. I worked all the paperwork out, and it turns out it was about $130. And it's like, it was nothing to worry about. Ironically, I petitioned the IRS for a copy of my tax return, which they had, which then I sent to them. But that's the funny part of the story. <laughs> True story. One of the greatest, my wife, she goes, don't be sarcastic when you send it in. Don't be sarcastic when you send it in. Don't. It's too late, honey. <laughs> it's, too, it's too much fun to do that. The second story I want to share with you is about reliance. And as a, as a career right fielder, there's things you have to pray for. I had this dream of starting my own business, one of many that I've started. Some of them worked. And I start the business. I'm super excited about it. But we made a mistake. We bought a huge house. We bought a 5,000-square-foot house in Stillwater that's just stunning, but it has so much wallpaper from eras gone by that my wife said it looks like Easter threw up. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means. I, she has taste. I don't. So we, we're spending... 
a month getting all the wallpaper fixed, all the carpet fixed, all. I haven't worked a lick, right? At the end of that, I'm looking at it, it's, it's last part of May, and I look at the calendar and I go, okay, I don't have any money coming in. I have one thing booked in September, four months away, that's a half a day. Uh, if I'm not, if I don't get busy and start getting some activity here, I'm gonna have to get a job. And we all know I suck at those, so <laughs> we better get going. So. It's one o'clock. I bring my wife into her office. We, we sit in her office and we pray. And I'm going to say this. Please do not be offended. Think of it as a donkey. If you have to do any other thing, just talk amongst yourselves on it. We did the dumbass prayer. Father God, I'm a dumbass. In the name of Jesus Christ, I wouldn't know what was happening if you hit me over the head with it. So I need you to hit me over the head with it. If I'm supposed to be doing this today, make it so. Make it flourish. If I'm not, just kill it today and shove me where I'm supposed to be. Just shove me. I'll go. Wherever you put me, Lord, I'll go. Amen. I go down to my office because I have the crappy office downstairs. I go down to my office. Well, you know, happy, happy wife, happy life. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm sitting at my, my desk working away. And I'm thinking about it. I only got two deals that are out there. Neither one of them has even got a signature block on it. Neither one of them is really close to closing. I, I need these deals to have some consulting work going on so I can make some money. And at 1.30, my wife goes, come up here. And I'm going, did I leave a dish in the sink? Or, you know. I get up there. She points at the fax machine in her office, and she goes, look. It's one of those two deals. The guy has signed it in the margin and says, I can't wait to get started. How do I pay you? When do we start? Oh, it's six months worth of work. Woohoo! Right? It's 1.30. And I'm like, we got well, to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for giving me clear definition. I'm supposed to be doing this today. Thank you for the clarity. Thank you for speaking directly to me and telling me because I would never have picked it up if you'd give me something nuanced. I'm just too big of a dumbass. Because I am. Amen. Go back downstairs. At 1.44, my wife calls me. She goes, okay, come back up. I'm thinking, now it's the dish. I left it, you know. The second one's in the fax machine. Signed at the bottom. Let's get started. I'll send you half the money. It's three months worth of work. And I... Look at Jen, we, we got to pray. Thank you, Jesus, but slow her down a notch because I can't do all this. <laughs> I'm glad you think I'm capable, but, you know, thank you, and let's keep her back down a notch. And I go back downstairs, and I'm sitting in my office at 2 o'clock, and I'm thinking, an hour ago, I didn't know if I was going to be doing this business. Now I know I'm supposed to be doing this business. I know what I'm supposed to do. Fast forward a year later, I'm in... Detroit, Michigan, and I'm talking to John. We'll call him John because actually his name's John. I'm talking to John, who owns a really good business with 138 employees, and he hired me to come in and help him fix three elements of his business. And we're having dinner the night before we kick off. And he looks at me and he goes, I don't know why, but I think you're supposed to pray over the meal. And I look across and I see... A handful of people wearing yarmulkes. I see a handful of people who are clearly Muslim. I see a, a handful of people that I can't tell what they are. I don't know what's going on. And I go, 
okay, <laughs> this is going to be good. And I, and I realized he wanted me to pray. And I don't know that he knew my background. I don't know that he knew that about me. He just was called to do it. He had an appointment where he went, I think you're supposed to be the guy that's blessing this meal. Bless the meal. And the four people across me who were Muslim, we had the best conversation all night long and talked about faith and religion and the difference between faith and religion and the difference between God and not God. It was a fabulous night. Do I know what happened with any of those seeds? I don't need to. It's not my business. I was called to show up in Detroit and hang out with John and preach the gospel. That's pretty darn cool. The other thing that really struck me about that is I needed to turn that into intentionality where I'm looking for appointments. And every single day, I'm looking for where God might want me to step in. The difference between God forcing his way and, and throwing words out of my mouth, why do you hate your father, and me being aware of somebody with baggage on their back but not taking it personally and thinking somebody else is supposed to do the work, to the point where if I see it, I need to act on it. I need to do what God would want me to do in that moment. And if I don't know what he wants me to do, pray and let it rip. Pray that he gives you the insight. Pray that he gives you the guidance. And remember, you're on a commission. He's with you. This isn't a, a coincidence. It's coincidence. He brought me this appointment for a reason. He brought me here with my knowledge for a reason. My mission has to be, how am I going to use that and how am I going to make the most of it? I, uh, I only have four more hours, so it'll be fine. Um, I, I'm not going to get too far into the planning process, but um, I do want to alert you to the fact the reason I'm building that planning tool for missions is because I've seen too many worthwhile missions where their strength wasn't in raising money. And you can't give them all the money because that keeps them from talking to people and forcing it to churn up. But giving them a match of half, whatever they raise, you'll match it so they can go on their mission, allows people to talk about something that gets the conversation started. Gives them, a, you know, if you're not comfortable with that conversation, it gives you something to get it going. Because not all of them are going to go, hey, I want to raise $10,000 because I want to build this in, in Haiti. Not all of them are going to go run a golf tournament that has the former cellmate of Charles Manson speaking at it, and we raise enough money to build a school in Haiti. Happened. Or the, the head of the Latin Kings the next year. Or pick it. But the whole thing was we didn't feel like we should be filtered because of what the world said was possible. Let's go do what God would have us do. By the way, the, the former cellmate of Charles Manson, who's become a really good friend of mine, there's something very cool at a golf tournament where most people want to drink, eat, and golf, whatever, whatever they pick. We're at the banquet. Most people want to leave right after the golf. Six people left. 178 stayed. 18 more showed up just to hear the speaker. And he gave 52 minutes of his life story. And nobody moved. Nobody left early. At the end of it, he did an altar call, and nine people gave their life to the Lord at a golf tournament. And you, you look back and you go, that is so cool. 
But let me give you the setup to this because God was in the, in the planning. I met a Bible study on a Friday, and one of the guys in our Bible study goes, Hey, we should go golfing this afternoon. Well, we should get two foursomes going next week. You know, we really should run a golf tournament and raise some money for a school in Haiti. Well, let's set that up for, what, four weeks out? Because you can put a golf tournament on in four weeks. So we did. And because we were all business people and salespeople, we went out the next day and got prizes, and we got $28,000 of the prizes. Because that's what you do. And then we, we started getting awareness. By Monday, we had posters at 50 golf courses. The Holy in One Golf Tournament. Come here, the former cellmate of Charles Manson speak. And they did. And we got it done in four weeks. You can't run a golf tournament in four weeks. I've been told that explicitly numerous times. Except we did. Because God had his hand on it. It had nothing to do with us. It had to do with God just said, this is what you're supposed to do right now. And we did it. The best part of that story is how that fell together. How the people heard what they heard, the seeds that were gathered there, the seeds that were spread there, and the people that were saved. But one of those guys that tournament telling 400 people the next week in church what he heard and seeing people getting saved. And you could feel a different level of emotion. And he said, the call is, what's your seminal moment that God wants you to be in? And what I love was that church, that turned into a, a, a mission for the church. It was incredible. So um, I'm, I'm going to finish on a couple of uh, th things I want to share with you that are important to me. I've lived a life of things that you could easily say were coincidence that really were coincidence. I've seen a lot of cool things happen, and I've had a lot of things where I've made amazing errors. The stupidest things you could possibly do in a situation, the dumbest financial decision, the dumbest faith-based decision. And through all of that, God keeps coming back and going, come on, if you today come play with me, let's go do this. It's not a, a, a single incident. It's a lifestyle. It's the way you decide you want to be. It's, that's the key. One last thought, and this is the one I'll leave you with. My dad, I told you a little bit about him. Cantankerous character, funny as all get out, and a faithful man. In fact... Uh, I wish every person in their life had a father who would make you feel like your father this way because there would be a lot more Christians. He's an unbelievable guy. When he passed away, I did his eulogy, and you've never seen three Lutheran ministers move faster to keep me from doing an altar call that they couldn't stop me doing because that's what my dad would have wanted. That's the way it had to go. But the best part is when he was diagnosed, I think it was his second or third terminal diagnosis, he was having a little doubt faith-wise, and he goes, he called me. He goes, I went to church today, Ron. He goes, i got to tell you, I've been really doubting the existence of God this week. I, I don't feel like I'm blessed. I, I really have. I'm at a low ebb. And he goes, I was sitting in church, and I was bitching God out. I was going, God, if you're really there, why would I have cancer, and why am I going to die? God, if you're really there, why aren't you talking to me, God? Why, 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 why? And he goes, dog, God, God. And, he, and he goes, the music's playing. People are starting to sing. And he goes, all right. I'll sing your stupid hymn. He opened it up to 368. And the words that came out of the mouths at the exact moment he did that were on the page, Holy Spirit, ever watchful over me. 
And he goes, Ryan, I may have been mistaken. <laughs> because sometimes we build it up in our head instead of let, let God do the real dirty work and the hard work to, dr to drive us and lift us up. Before I go, I want to pray for each and every one of you just briefly.